Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. I've known Ashley nearly 20 years at this point through Kyoto's. So beautiful inside and out. One of the nicest, kindest, most caring person you will ever possibly meet. Last Friday, I joined thousands of women and men outside Leinster House for a candlelit vigil in memory of 23-year-old Ashling Murphy. Elsewhere around the country, thousands of others came together in towns and cities to mark the tragic death of this young woman. Last Wednesday afternoon, primary school teacher and musician Ashling Murphy went for a run along the canal pathway just outside the town of Tullamore. At 4pm, she was attacked and killed. For many, there were simply no words to sum up the anger, frustration, sadness and helplessness that was felt. And meanwhile, that underlying sense of anxiety about personal safety felt by every woman in Ireland continues unabated. I'm Sarah Chapalak and this is In the News from the Irish Times. Today, how do we end male violence against women? Irish Times journalists Jennifer O'Connell and Maliki Clerken on why it's time for a total change of mindset. Irish Times features writer Jennifer O'Connell has been writing about the aftermath of Ashling's horrific murder and how this event has shaken so many women to their core. Jen, I want to talk to you first about your own personal reaction to Ashling's death. Was it a frustration and an anger that yet another woman had just needlessly lost her life at the hands of a violent man? Or was it depression and sadness that so many of us felt in response to what happened? I think I oscillated through all of the emotions that you mentioned, Sirica. And I know you and I were WhatsApping each other. I was WhatsApping, you know, several other uh, female colleagues and, and a lot of friends. And we were kind of all going through the cycle of emotions. But I want to start, if I can, with condolences to Ashling Murphy's family, because I haven't had an opportunity to say that. And I've, I've written a couple of pieces about her death. You know, obviously, there's never any such thing as, as worthy or less worthy victims. But the more I read about her and the more I saw her, I just, the word that kept coming into my mind, and I think I, I might have used this one of my pieces was luminous. You know, she was just so young and she had lived so much already and and had so much of her life ahead of her that I think, you know, the sense of of loss and 
injustice was just really, really acute for everybody. You know, one of the things that really brought it home to all of us, I think, was just the sheer ordinariness of her actions that day. You know, she went to work and then she decided that she would go for a run because I think she was trying to get back into fitness um, for camogie, which which she played. Um, and she'd done that the day before and and obviously had, hadn't encountered any problems. And, and, and then, you know, she went out and, and by four o'clock she was dead. And it was just really difficult, I think, for all of us to wrap our brains around how something like that could happen. So I felt I felt shock. I felt sadness. I felt anger. And, and then I felt a little bit of defiance, too, which I think, you know, I think a lot of women might identify with that, too. So I collected my seven year old, who would be the age of one of Ashley Murphy's students from school. And, you know, and, and nobody was talking about it at the school because they're obviously they're, those children are, are very young. But there was definitely a moment where the teachers and I sort of or one of the teachers and I sort of locked eyes and, and, and we held each other's eyes. And there was kind of a nod that passed between us that just acknowledged how awful a day it was. Um, and a little bit later that afternoon, actually at four o'clock, I brought my little girl to the park and I just watched her run. And because I think she didn't know she was oblivious, but I wanted to send the message to myself and to future her that the world belongs to girls, too. You know, and we can't be afraid. We can't hide away when things like this happen. We're also here because we're angry and we're angry that another woman's life has been taken and that we live in a society where male violence and the threat of male violence impacts and affects the decisions that we make as women every day. Maliki Clerken, you're an Irish Times sports writer and last year you wrote an article in which you spoke about your own shock at learning that many women just don't feel safe when out running alone because of the fear of unwanted attention or abuse from men. When you heard about the murder of Ashling Murphy in broad daylight while she was out running, what were your thoughts? Um, I guess, like a lot of the country, I came across it on Wednesday night. First of all, you're you're obviously shocked and you're you're whatever, but I was more shocked, I think, than most women. And I think most men would have been more shocked than me, if you know what I mean. Like that, that wherever the spectrum is, like, as as you say, I've written about this a few times, but like my, th- the thrust of, of my columns or my writing about it, it was, was almost embarrassment that I got to whatever stage of my life, I got to my early 40s without realizing the world that women live in. On on this one specific area, let's say, you know, the the ease with which... I go out and exercise after dark, not being available to the female population of, of the planet. And so all of that fed into how I felt and my friends felt, you know, just this severe sadness and revulsion, obviously. And something you hit on there, Maliki, is the fact that many women will not run alone after dark. Jen, this is just one of the countless measures that we, as women, must take in our daily lives in order to stay safe. And not meaning to be condescending here in any way, but can you remind our male listeners of some of these measures that we feel we must take? And I think in some ways it's so deeply ingrained in us, you know, this this kind of background thrum of anxiety that accompanies us through our lives, that it's almost like eating or drinking. We don't even realize that we're doing it. And we don't even realize that, that, you know, that men don't do it until we come to a position where like I've been out at night walking home with my husband and there's a shortcut through the people's park, which would be open at night. 
And we've stopped at the gate and he's just gone to go through the gate. And I'm like, what are you doing? You don't go through the park at night. And he's like, why not? And, you know, it's, it's kind of then that you realise. But yeah, the, the sort of the semi-conscious risk assessment that we carry out daily, it, it covers everything from, you know, it's it's the route that we take home. It's the, the time of day after which we are no longer willing to leave the house alone. It's the seat that we choose on the bus. It's the seat that we choose on the train. There's the, the just checking in calls that we make on from the back of a taxi when we're on our way home so that the taxi driver knows there's somebody waiting for us. The crossing the street when you hear footsteps coming towards you on a a darker street. And just that constant scanning of our surroundings and that inner monologue that never leaves us if we're out alone in a situation where we feel even remotely vulnerable. So we're like, is he looking at me? Why is he sitting so close? Where are my keys? Where's my phone? Could I reach it if I needed to? No, I'm not going that way. I'm not going past the building site. I'm not going down that dark lane. Oh, if I go past the pub, there's people outside drinking and smoking. Will that be okay? Well, I'm dressed okay. I'm probably going to be kind of anonymous. And a lot of women have spoken this week about, again, carrying keys in their in their hand in order to, to act as a weapon. Now, I have to admit, I've never done that. And I've never even thought about doing that. But I have this walk that I adopt that, you know, my friends and I consciously taught ourselves to do when we were in university. Um, and we were living together and it's a sort of a defiant walk. And we've had long conversations about whether do you catch his eye or do you look away? And the he in question, by the way, is probably a Maliki or a my husband or a, any one of our brothers or friends. It's just a guy who just happens to be walking down the street towards us. And we just happen to feel vulnerable because it's dark or because we're alone or because we just get that sixth sense that something's not right. So, you know, when you break it down, I think I sound quite crazy, probably. But I don't think that this is at all uncommon. I think that all women go through this kind of, as I just call it, the risk assessment. But that's really interesting, Jen, is is even you qualifying it right at the end by saying, I probably sound crazy saying all this. Let me say that you don't sound crazy, but you sound like somebody who has a completely different life than I have. I have never done anything in that checklist that you went through there. And, And I think this is a good starting point for these conversations. Like you two are going to roll your eyes a little bit at this and you'll be right to. But do you remember when the Halo app came in, in whenever that was, let's say, let's pick a date and say 2012 or whenever that was. And so finally, you know, you have this app on your phone where you can call it a taxi. That's what the Halo app was to me. And I remember having a talking to my wife and going, hey, have you seen this app? It's fantastic. You know, you know, you just hit a button and it comes. And she kind of looked at it and went, oh, yeah, it's good. Jesus. Oh, yeah, and you can, you oh, and it tells you who the driver is and uh, plate number and reg number. And I was kind of going, why do you want to know who the taxi driver is? I don't need to know who my taxi driver is. He's just driving me home. And she's just kind of going, every woman who looks at this app will notice that. They will notice that now there is a record of who is leaving you home. And I'm not, you know, a caveman. I'm not any of these things. But I, I had a veil... From the front of my eyes, I went, right, right. That would never occur to me in a million years. And so that is something that I think is important. I know it annoys women when we talk about all of this and the not all men stuff comes out. And of course, it's annoying. And of course, it's, it's, you know, invalid at this stage because, of course, women don't think it's all men. But I think it is good that there's a recognition somewhere along the way that we inhabit different worlds or we inhabit ourselves in the world differently. That checklist that you went through there, Jen, you know, it is absolutely horrendous that we have needed the death of a 23-year-old for 
that checklist to be to become such a talking point. It is awful. You know, the, the, there's a family in Tullamore that didn't ask on any level to become part of a national conversation. They're in their house completely destitute in grief while we're, you know, wringing our hands and talking about broad societal matters that they're going to bury their daughter, you know, like, and that's the only thing that matters. But like, I do think that this is such an enormous, amorphous subject that trying to find a starting point is very, very difficult. But I think that that could be one, that an acknowledgement that men and women live in the world differently and not an accusatory kind of, you should know this, but like, hey, look, this is how our life is different. And we can, we can start to understand each other better that way. On, I think it was like Monday or Tuesday night, I was going for a run along the canal and I was verbally harassed by a man. And then when I heard the news about what happened to Ashling, I was thinking about how these small microaggressions grow into something as horrific as murder. All Irish women have experienced these situations, whether they're going for a run or walk, it doesn't matter if it's bright or dark, it doesn't matter what they're wearing. They're just trying to live their lives as this woman was trying to do. And I think coming out here is all of us saying we just want to live our lives and we don't want to do it in fear anymore. But yet, Mal, there are so many men who do still see it almost as an attack when women speak up about this and almost as a defensiveness. And of course, we know that not all men are predators. Most of us have incredible men in our lives. But Jen, you wrote a sentence this week that's really cemented itself in my mind. You wrote, not all men are predators, but all women know that they are potentially prey. Why don't men understand this, Jen, do you think? I think it comes down to the fact that men are used to feeling quite comfortable in the world and women are not. And that sounds like a generalisation, but uh, but I do think it's true. You know, I even look at my, I have a teenage 14-year-old boy and a 15-year-old girl. And already my 15-year-old girl is checking in all the time. I've just got to hockey. I'm just coming home from hockey. I'm leaving hockey now. I'm arriving at hockey. I'm coming in the front door. Whereas my son doesn't do any of that. I probably should train him to, but he doesn't feel the need. And and I don't necessarily feel the need to check in on him to the same extent. So I just think we have this discomfort in the world. And I think that men then start to feel a bit uncomfortable about their place in the world when we start talking about this, because it makes them realise that they've been very privileged. And maybe that's not necessarily an easy realisation to to sit with. But I I think, you know, the unavoidable truth of the matter is we know that not all men are predators, but we know that a large number of women, I think there's an EU survey that says um, half of all women have been sexually harassed across the EU and, and one in three has experienced physical or sexual violence. So it's not a tiny, tiny minority of men either. You know, there's a substantial number of men out there that have harassed women possibly have even been physically or sexually violent towards women. And and I don't know whether they're not aware of it, but certainly I think it's, it's notable. Somebody um, put it this week, I think it was on Twitter. I can't remember who it was now, so apologies. But they said it's strange that almost everyone, every woman I know has a story of harassment or abuse, yet no man I know or any of his friends has, has ever been responsible so I think it's it's really understandable that, you know, men are checking their privilege and they're realising that they have been walking through the world in this quite sheltered way and they're uncertain what we want from them now. They're uncertain what to do about it. And maybe they're wondering and they're looking back on instances that they've been involved in in the past in a slightly different light than they would have. Well, Mal, I actually want to put something to you because uh, Lisa Fallon, who, who writes for us in the Irish Times, wrote in her column yesterday that there are 
three categories of men and I'm this is what she wrote men and boys who believe they are superior and entitled to behave in ways that threaten abuse and scare women number two men and boys who don't behave this way but say and do nothing who witness abuse but let it go number three lastly there are the minuscule few who stand up and say no this is not right Mal, why is that minuscule? Why are there so many men in that middle category who are definitely very upset and unhappy about what's happening, but who don't say anything? I would uh, respectfully suggest that there's a fourth category of men who are oblivious to it all. In our daily lives, most of us are, to a greater or lesser extent. We're, we're the The idea that... That a load of that there's a huge proportion of men who see abuse happening and say nothing about it. I'm not sure I buy that. These are all general statements, so I don't so who knows, you know, but I can absolutely see how that would feel the reality from a female point of view. Because like Jennifer's exactly right. The line that she she robbed from Twitter there. I think I saw that too, Jen, and I was kind of going like that is clearly very true. Every woman that, that we all know have had experiences and would say very truthfully that, that they have had them. And I'm sort of racking my brain for the th- like hundreds of men that I know. And like apart from maybe a few high profile cases, I don't really know anybody. I would say that the largest proportion of those categories, Lisa's three categories, I think the fourth category is probably bigger than the, the other three combined. There's a huge proportion of men who, who and and women for that matter, but who are just getting on with their life. You know, I'm all right, Jack. I'm I'm living my life. None of that applies to me. And I mean, sure, every every man would would say, sure, if, Jesus, if 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 I had been running along the track in Tullamore on on Wednesday, I would step in. But that's not that's of course not what we're talking about we're talking about much smaller things that are on the far end of the of the scale but they set the atmosphere and they begin they're as much a part of the spectrum as the really extreme part can I say two things to Maliki just just really quickly? Um, one is I want to say that I think in my own experiences and in the direct experiences of my friends that, that I would know some of the details of men who carry out actual sexual violence like I'm talking about an assault rarely do it in front of other men. So that's the first thing. So I actually kind of buy that men are not aware. The second thing is that I think they actually I want to say three things. The second thing that I want to say is I think it's a question of framing that maybe women are more tuned into things that maybe men might hear in a conversation and put down to just having a laugh and she's smiling away. She doesn't seem upset by it. And maybe half an hour later, they've forgotten it. But I guarantee you that eight years later, the woman will still remember exactly what he was said to her. And we do do that terrible thing of smiling and like gritting our teeth and going, <laughs> yeah, you know, we do, we do that. And the, the third thing that I want to say is I think that there's a fifth category and that is women who don't say anything and women who enable this and women who make excuses for men who harass or behave inappropriately or even carry out sexual violence. But I think it isn't a men versus women conversation. And, and I hate when it's interpreted like that. And and, and hopefully this conversation isn't. And, you know, Maliki's clearly one of the good guys. And, you know, in my experience as well, the men who've contacted me since I've started writing about this from my own life, who've gone, Jem, what can I do? Like, 
you've written that men need to do something good and men need to stand up right tell me what I need to do and I mean I don't necessarily have the answers I figured out what I need to do and women have figured out what we need to do I think it's up to you guys to go away and figure out what you need to do now but I I think that generally the guys that really worry about this and the ones that have contacted me and the ones that have gone I've been revisiting some of my behaviours you remember when we were in college and I was seeing that girl and I told you about this thing do you think that I went too far generally speaking they're not the guys that I'm worried about. I think they're the good ones, the ones that are worrying about their own behaviour and checking themselves. I suspect that the large majority of the predatory men are cruising through life, even the ones that have done things to me that actually fall into the category of, of you know, full sexual assault. I would say don't even remember my name at this point. Jen, I want to yeah, I want to talk about the way that we make excuses, what you mentioned there for what happens, because any woman you speak to will admit that she regularly makes excuses for a man behaving badly or unacceptably um, and the type of language that we use language plays a big role in this so for instance phrases like dropping the hand and handsy being used to minimize what is actually a sexual assault can we change this subconscious use of language that we've I guess grown up with where we make excuses for men yeah, uh, Katie Hannon made this point brilliantly on, on Liveline this week. And somebody, uh, one of the callers used that phrase, dropping the hand. Uh, and she said, hold on a minute now, what you're talking about is actually sexual assault. It meets the legal definition of, of sexual assault. And I thought to myself as I was listening, I've I've used that phrase. I've used handsy. I've warned women about men who were a bit handsy. I've described men as being a bit handsy. Um, and I, you know, I thought it was kind of just a, an acceptable code. But actually, no, I was minimising what is a sexual assault as well. So, you know, the I was thinking about the kind of handbook of excuses that we give to predatory men. So it's things like, well, he's harmless, really, or he was off his face and he didn't know what he was doing. And it's not worth it. I I just let it go. And, you know, I think that women make that rational decision often to let things go. But I think it's on us now maybe to stop letting it go because we know that this kind of abuse happens on a spectrum. We know that what happened to Ashling Murphy did not come out of the blue and that when somebody is found to have been responsible for it, there is an all likelihood that he has had a track record that probably started with off-colour comments and crude remarks and escalated because that's how it works. You know, and that's why we need to start calling this behaviour out when we see it in its sort of most low-level forms and stop turning a blind eye to it. And I think that, you know, we women need to own our part in this too. I don't think that, I don't think my own behaviour has been perfect. I think I have on occasions over the years been guilty of letting things pass or minimising it or using some of those lines, you know, he's from another era and he's grand when he's sober, just don't get too close to him when he's drunk and, you know, watch out for him and maybe I'll come to the bar with you because he's at the bar and you know how this is going to go and you know, I, I think that we need to to find a way that we can all be more courageous. Women have been incredibly brave about telling their stories and it's not easy. I don't know if men realise how hard it is to say, yes, I've been a victim of sexual assault. Uh, it's really, really difficult because, you know, you automatically have this bred into you from the time you were a little girl that you don't make a fuss. You don't draw attention on yourself. Don't be a notice box. So now, I think, in the aftermath of this horrific crime is the moment that we stop letting things slide. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. 
That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Plushcare.com slash weight loss. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. So how do we move forward from this? Last week, the head of the National Women's Council, Orla O'Connor, said that Ireland's attempts to end men's violence against women have just not been strong enough and that there needs to be a zero tolerance culture towards misogyny and sexism. And she said one of the ways to do this is we need a department and a minister specialising in women's issues. Maliki, in that piece that you wrote last year about the fear women feel while exercising in public, you wrote, fixing something as rooted in society as this is no easy task, clearly. But the first step is surely to talk about it. What do you think needs to happen to change things for the better? I think it's a cultural thing more so than a than a political thing. I saw was Darvel O'Donnell on uh, primetime mention, you know, drink driving was a cultural fact of life in Ireland a generation ago. And uh, we've managed to change that in the space of a generation. I think it will take more than the space of a generation to get to the point where we're not talking about this stuff. It's on people. As I said before, I think it is absolutely horrific that it has taken a nation coming to a standstill over the death of a 23-year-old who is out running for us to, to sit and talk about this. I've written about this a few times, specifically on the being out running side of it. Jennifer's written on, on it countless times. The reactions are generally, you can generally predict them, you know, uh, like they sort of split into three camps, women nodding their heads saying, yep. That's our lives. Uh, half a man going, holy shit, is that, is that, does that really happen? And the other half a man going, oh, would you get over it? Come on, get on with life. I think over time, we can hopefully diminish that latter group or diminish it in size and get more of them into the middle group. And eventually it all becomes an amorphous group where people understand the lived experiences of, of each other. So, Jen, what needs to happen next? Could this be the watershed moment we've all been waiting for? I would love to think that this is the watershed moment, but but I sort of feel like, you know, we've had a lot of watershed moments, you know, from Deirdre Jacob, Justine Valdez, Mariara Rostas, Anna Creasel, Nadine Lott. We've had watershed moment after watershed moment and nothing has changed. I do sense something that gives me a lot of hope, which is that when I was looking at their reactions online, I think that women are really unified and really, really clear and really unambiguous in what we don't want to happen next. And what we don't want is more platitudes. And we don't want this brushed off. We don't want any more tips about how to keep ourselves safe. We don't want well-meaning advice about using apps and using location trackers or shouting fire if somebody grabs you in the street because people will pay more attention to that than if you scream. And 
you know, we don't want anything that starts with the words not all men. I think we can now just park that and say it is taken as read that we know that not all men are predators. We, you know, we don't want to be called love by strange men uninvited. We don't want to be sexualized in non-sexual contexts. And we don't want to have to keep telling our stories. We have told our stories. I think we have no stories left. I think it is over to men now. To be honest, I really do. I think men need to start being brave about this. I think Malachi has been brave because he wrote that piece. Um, was it a year ago, maybe a year and a half ago? And I think that was brave, you know, at the risk of sounding condescending, which I'm not at all, because some man has to start the conversation somewhere about why it is that you are privileged enough to walk through the world without having to check yourself every minute of every day that you're out alone at night. I think that was great. I think that was really powerful. And I think that men really responded to that. So it does show that there is an appetite from men to hear from other men about this. And what I really want to do is like to listen to a podcast where it's all men talking about this. You know, I I kind of feel like we've said our piece. So yeah, I think that as a society, I think Malachi is completely right that we're not going to solve. I want a national strategy on sexual violence against women. Absolutely. And it needs to start at primary school level and it needs to look at everything from the justice system to the legal system to how education works. But that's going to take a long time. Realistically, we can start right now in being less tolerant and we can start right now in watching our language when we talk about sexual violence. And, you know, instead of saying X number of women get raped or women face an epidemic of sexual violence, we can say how it really is, which is that X number of men rape women or women, men rape women and women face sexual violence from men, because unfortunately, that is the reality of it. So I'm I'm a bit divided to answer your question. I think we've had a lot of opportunities for watershed moments, but I do sense something a bit different this time. I think that women have been completely united in our response and in our reaction. And also, it isn't just about shock and horror. It's actually about anger and a demand for change and a demand for action and a demand for good men to stand up and be counted. Thanks, Jen. Thanks so much, Malachi. That's all for today. My thanks to our guests, Jennifer O'Connell and Maliki Clerkin. Today's episode was edited by Jennifer Ryan and Suzanne Brennan. In the News will be back on Wednesday. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.